E kore rātau e kaumātua tia pēnei i a tātau kua māhui nei. E kore hoki rātau e ngoi kore, ahako pēhia i ngā āhuatanga o te wā. I te hekinga tū o te rā, taino ki te aranga mai i te ata, ka maumahara tonu tātau kia rātau. Welcome to the hui Māori Current Affairs for all New Zealanders. E taroa ke nei. A trans woman housed in a men's prison for six long months. That was the hardest thing that I've ever been through in my life. Now, Hina Tūtake Waitere is demanding answers from corrections. Why are you housing visible takatāpuhi wahine in men's prisons? When you're detained, you've got a right to be treated with dignity and that, that just didn't happen. Then, turning the tide on a century of environmental degradation. Just such an awful way to disconnect a community from a resource. We check out the kaupapa that's bringing mussels back to the Takutai Moana of Tāmaki Makaurau. Tahutimai. In 2018, Hina Tsutake Waitere was sent to jail for creating an elaborate Facebook scam where she not only stole the money but also the identities of her victims. There's no doubt Hina deserved to be held accountable for her crimes, but what she didn't deserve is what she claims were months of alleged assaults and rapes while in prison. Tonight, Hina shares her story to raise awareness of the dangers trans prisoners face in the hope of ensuring their rights are upheld. Anei te pūrongo a Annabelle Lee Mather. A trans woman sentenced to time in a men's prison. The moment I got onto the paddy wagon, I was like, no, this is not right. Hina Waitere Tsutaki alleges she endured months of sexual assaults at the hands of fellow inmates. Entering prison, I knew what was going to happen. I experienced it all. Her case raising important questions about how transgender prisoners are treated by corrections. Provisions about transgender prisoners have been in place since 2014. Good policy, but on the ground, it's, it's not happening. Hina Waitere Tsutaki grew up knowing she was takatāpui, and so did her parents. My father knew from the word go that I was going to be transgender, because I was about maybe two or three, and I asked for a pair of pink gumboots, and instead of saying no, he bought them. But at 13, Hina started to drink. By the time her father died at 24, she'd hit rock bottom. I was just surviving. It was, where do I get the next drink from? Her addiction would ultimately lead to a life of crime. When I first met Hina in 2016, she'd just been revealed as the mastermind behind a catfishing scheme on social media. It was basically financial gain, as disgusting as it sounds ripping off thousands of dollars from multiple victims. I actually am sorry. Hina took responsibility and went before the courts. 
Now she's sharing her experience of the justice system. What's happened since I last saw you, Hina? So I was sentenced to a sentence of three years, nine months um, in the Whanganui District Court. Were you surprised to get a custodial sentence or were you expecting that? No, I was expecting it. Yeah, I was expecting it. But what Hina wasn't expecting was to be sent to a men's prison. So when you got there, Hina, did anybody come down and say to you, obviously you're a trans wahine, no. you're going to have some special needs or requirements? Was there any kind of support like that? No. I didn't know that they had support plans for takatapuhi wahine entering into men's prison. What Hina should have been told on arrival is that she had the right to request a transfer to a woman's prison and that there were procedures and protections in place for transgender inmates. But she says this didn't happen. Hina's lawyer, Amanda Hill. One of the key principles of corrections is to ensure that people are informed about their rights and entitlements. So. It was on corrections to go to him and say, these are your rights, these are your entitlements. We have a positive duty to keep you safe. It's not on Hina to know, walking into prison, what the paperwork is, what her rights are, what her entitlements are. Most people don't. Instead, Hina would spend six long months serving alongside violent male offenders, eating, exercising and showering. Were you expected to use the same shower facilities? Yes, I was, and that was the hardest thing that I've ever been through in my life. And it was in those shower blocks where Hina alleges the sexual assaults against her began. Can you describe for me the types of attacks that you endured? Um, so... Anal sex, um, oral, gang rape. I experienced it all. How many times were you assaulted in prison? Heaps of times. Were the people who attacked you ever punished? No. No. I have to live in the same town as some of these men. Despite being injured during the alleged attacks, Hina says she didn't receive medical care and her complaints weren't recorded. She also alleges she saw other trans women being forced into unwanted sexual encounters with fellow inmates. They're having to do it to live in there, to be able to eat. They don't say anything because they don't have that support. There's no support for trans women. Even without the additional risks of being a trans prisoner, the rate of violence between prisoners is really high. And I don't accept that when you go into prison, you get what you give, and that is not what our legislation says. When you're detained, you've got a right to be treated with dignity, and that, was, that just didn't happen. Six months after entering Whanganui Men's Prison, Hina says she was finally moved to a woman's jail at Aruhata after being spotted by a community law officer. She said to me, what are you doing here? And I said, huh? And she goes, you need to get in touch 
with a lawyer and get the ball rolling because you shouldn't be here. Did you feel safer at Aruhata? I did. Mm. I did. I did. I, I did feel safe, but I knew that a lot of the biological wahine weren't happy with it. You felt unwelcomed there? Unwelcomed. So, majority of my life I felt like that. In an official Information Act request to corrections, we asked how many trans women had served sentences in a men's prison. The latest figures from 2019 to 2020 show 21 trans women had been housed with male inmates. What is the most appropriate way for corrections to house trans women, do you think? There's no straightforward answer to that because every prisons needs are different, but I guess the key thing is to ensure that you're giving the right information and giving the right options to people, making sure that they're actually safe where they are. We approached Corrections for an on-camera interview about Hina's case, but it declined. In a statement to the Hui, it says, Corrections has again taken this latest complaint seriously and is looking into the allegations made, including any further evidence that has been provided. As this complaint is still being addressed, we are limited in our ability to provide you specific comment. We have also suggested that this person consider her option to make a formal complaint to police, as they are the appropriate agency to investigate matters of alleged assault and sexual assault. It seems to me that it'd be incredibly difficult for a victim of an assault in prison to, to have evidence of it, because obviously it's not going to happen in front of guards. What we know, and what I know from my line of work, is that it takes a victim of sexual abuse a really long time to report, and that particularly for people in prison, that they may not disclose it until they're out, by which time, of course, they entity can say, well, there's no documents here, you didn't report it at the time. Correction says it's still considering the other aspects of Hina Waitere Tsutaki's claims, including the alleged failure to inform her of her rights. I would like to see meaningful training happening in our prisons to ensure this doesn't happen again, because Hina's certainly not the first, and I, I worry for the safety of our trans prisons now. Um, and I don't think enough is being done. I just need closure on the whole situation that's happened and... Hina is now working part-time as a carer and moving on with her life. But she wants an apology and she wants answers. First and foremost, what my question to the Corrections Department would be is why are you housing visible takatapuhi wahine in men's prisons. I don't care whether this takes me four and a half years or 40 years. I'm still going to be here opening my mouth and wanting answers because I'm not the only takatapuhi in this country that's been through it. And we received this statement from Corrections, Deputy National Commissioner Lee Marsh. We have a duty of care to people in prison and every individual we manage deserves to feel safe and be treated with dignity. In March 2018, Corrections introduced a strengthened policy for the management of transgender prisoners with a focus on being responsive to individuals and their circumstances. 
regardless of whether they are housed in a prison that aligns with their gender identity. We do acknowledge that collectively, as an organisation, there is more we need to learn to fully support every person we manage. Some staff may not necessarily have first-hand knowledge or experience with the challenges and complexities some transgender people face, but we are committed as an organisation to change this. In recent years, we have actively worked to improve how we can support transgender people who come into our care. Over 2,000 staff have attended diversity workshops, which focus on building an awareness and understanding of the LGBTQIA terminology, respecting dignity and being aware of unconscious bias. Next, we dig deeper into colonial history of the Anzacs. Auraki mai anō. Every year, Aotearoa acknowledges the special relationship between the New Zealand and Australian Army Corps. Contrary to popular belief, the Anzac bond wasn't forged on foreign battlefields, but right here in Aotearoa. In fact, it's estimated more than 3,000 Australians fought shoulder to shoulder with colonial troops during the New Zealand uh, wars, including the invasion of Waikato. Now, iwi historian Taitimu Maipi wants more New Zealanders to understand the roots of our Anzac traditions and the impact it's had on the people of Tainui. And he joins me now from Rahui Pōkeka. Tēnā koe e te matua. Kia ora. Kia ora. Hey, um, I was just wondering, with your Tainui background and your Waikato hat on, tell me, you know, what happens in Anzac Day down there? Do you commemorate it? Well, we, we, we never... No, we didn't, actually, because what... Uh, as as a uh, as the one growing up, when we there was never a story about uh, what happened with the land was to us or Anzac. The uh, our grandparents, uh, for some reason, I remember being a young young man and I raised it with my grandparents, and uh, the ladies jumped in and said, "Oh, we can't talk about that," and uh, and because we became very Christianized when we were growing up, we had the Anglican church. On uh, Te Haki Marae, at the uh, Wahi, we had the Pai Marere. Up at the Kauri, you had the, the Mormon church. And the churches that sort of denied us the, the history and uh, kept, kept the, the stories of uh, what happened on the battlefields until recently. Until recently, and well, actually, until now. It's the first time that, uh, probably the second time, 2017, we recognized the battles of uh, Rangiriri. Mm. And did uh, and uh, and we did a little bit of stories behind that, and now this year there's a major discussion around the battles of Rangiriri with uh, with the opening of, of the, uh, the the history and the uh, and the trenches. So it's it's been an interesting uh, um, uh, story, but never told to us. Yeah, uh, learning now that learning as you have like two and a half thousand to three thousand Australians uh, soldiers had come over at the call at the beck and call of uh, Governor Gray to fight in the Waikato War. I mean, what do you think now? Is that is that new to you? Yeah, well, it, it's actually quite new about the Australians because I remember on 2017 when they did the 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 uh, uh, the, the 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 stories. At, at Rangiriri, the Australians came across and uh, and, and entered into the battlefields, 
uh, just trying to give a background about what happened uh, back in 1863. It was was a terrible experience when I think about now that we know the true stories of what happened. But uh, like I say, our our grandparents never talked too much about it. The only time I, I, um, I heard it once, actually, it was through the song of King, a song called uh, King Tafia. And there, there was the song being, being sung. And I'll, I'll just give a little bit uh, uh, of what that song was about. So Tutata I can have a, have a song, sing the song. But it, it, it was a song about, uh, about, about the war. Uh, but it was only in a small group of people that they, that they talked about uh, what happened? It, it was a very, very close uh, history of uh, uh, when we were growing up until now. How's it been for you and your whanau in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, starting to really learn some of these early oh, yes. stories? Oh yes, very much so. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, more so than ever before. Given that uh, we're going to be having it in in the kura, so that our our people can be part of the. Uh, you know, understand the background and what happened during during those terrible times. Yes, I mean, there's been a, you know, there's been wānanga taupatupatu, if you like, around whether um, the New Zealand walls should be commemorated or remembered at, at on Anzac Day. But when you look at where, um, you know, where New Zealand and Australia fought together back in those early um, wars, do you think that there's a place for, um, to remember the descendants of those on Anzac Day? For us, of course, of course, I, I think that, uh, and that's what we're doing uh, now. It's interesting that uh, we're celebrating Anzac Day on Monday, and we've got the opening of the battlefields of Rangitiri uh, that's happening now. So there's, uh, um, the, the local people have opened up the, the uh, and uh, up the open the battlefields for our people to go through and have a look and tell the story of what happened back in those uh, dark days. Yeah, um, we were t- talking earlier before we started recording about um, some of the Australians that are, f- are actually laying in some of the urupa around the Waikato. I imagine mm-hmm. there's many more all throughout the Waikato that we don't really know, do you think? No, that, you know, I mean, uh, that's quite true. That When the Australians came over and, and then apparently uh, they were given, uh, after the land was, they were offered land uh, that belonged to us. And you know we and they still there. The history of the of those of those uh, invaders are still on those lands uh, that they uh, took in 1863. I mean, it's it's about time we sent them home, like they sent the five hundred ones back here to New Zealand. We should send them back to Australia after what they've done to our people back in those those dark days. And it, it was it was it was it was wrong. It was uh, painful. All of those stories. When you listen, the only time that you listen to the to those those kinds of stories is in the Waiata, and when you go into Matatini, and uh, you know our people do the do, do tell the stories through their haka and through their through their Waiata. So that's the only time you, you you actually get the real story about what happened in uh, when the Australians came here. Mm. Well, tēnā koe matua, thank you, and, and hopefully, you know, uh, this becomes uh, uh, some of the learning of the, the history and our, our kura in, in days to come. So, e mihiana, kia koutou, kia koe mō tō wā, kia ora.
Next, we look at how Ngāti Whātua Ōrāke are restoring the Māori of their moana. An iwi-led muscle restoration project in Tāmaki Makaurau is proving it's never too late to restore the taiao. Ngāti Whātua Ōrāke is on a journey to undo the environmental degradation caused at Ōkahu Bay as a result of Auckland's rapid growth. Recently, more than 60 tonnes of mussels were transported to Ōkahu Bay to create mussel reefs in an effort to restore the natural ecosystem. Anai te pūrongo a John Boynton. Ōkahu Bay has experienced environmental devastation for more than 100 years as a result of the growth of Tāmaki Makoto. We all have to take better responsibility for our environment yeah. um, because that has looked after us far more than we have looked after it. In 1914, Auckland sewage was discharged into Ōkahu Bay, polluting Ngāti Whātua Ōrākei's shellfish beds, the contamination causing illness to whānau living here. That was the outlet, the sewage outlet, and all that our whānau experienced down there, and the typhoid, and the diseases, and, you know, they're just such an awful way to disconnect a community from a resource. This painful past leaving a deep impression on twin sisters, Moana Tamariki Pohe and Donna Tamariki. There are still whānau today that were down there and, you know, speak of the hurt and what that meant to them. This is our taonga and this is what, this is our pātaka kai, um, and that they were disconnected from it. And to see the sewage floating in the bay was such an insult. But the tamariki whānau have never lost their connection to the area or traditional mātauranga practices, taught to them by their father, Tamaitsi Tamariki. So Dad always referred to the moana as his playground, but knowing full well that it was what sustained him and his family. It was all around knowing what species of fish to catch at what period, in terms of tides, in terms of the maramataka, in terms of spawning seasons. So all of those things uh, were learnt. Tamaitsi and other kaumatua from Ngāti Whātua Ōrākei had a vision for Ōkahu to be restored to full health. Ecologist Rochelle Kahui McConnell believed traditional mātauranga held the key to bringing Ōkahu back to life. So she collected some really, really beautiful stories and got a sense from the kaumatua that they, they saw it in a way that they loved it um, and it was healthy and it sustained us to that being taken away from us. Now that's been a period of 50 years of not encouraging their children and their children's children to swim in the bay because it wasn't healthy. Rochelle floated the idea of creating kūtai or mussel reefs to restore the Māori of the bay. 
Kūtai are called the kidneys of the sea. They can remove heavy metals and harmful bacteria, clearing the water and stabilizing the seafloor. Once prolific in the Hauraki Gulf, Kūtai are now virtually extinct here, with around 1,500 kilometers of mussel beds decimated by commercial dredging. So the mussel uh, restoration mahi is big, and you know it's it's been scaled up like on steroids, like super scaled up from what we started with. From paddling the mussels out and dropping them by hand to having a huge barge. You know we've got a vested interest. This is in our hearts, our heads and our pukus. It's our job to make sure that we do a good job now so that our kids have got something to pick up later. But both Moana's father and Rochelle never lived to see the completion of the 10-year project and witnessed this final drop of more than 60 tonnes of kūtai shipped in from the Coromandel a few weeks ago. Moana able to share the moment with all the people who brought the project to life. I think for me today, what was really important was to acknowledge those that really put in the hard yards um, and had the faith that really made sure that this project came to fruition. Those who have been a part of the journey here to see the final load of mussels relocated to their new home. The kūtai will sink overnight into the seabeds. From there, they clump together, creating an unbreakable bond. Then nature takes its course, and the filtration process begins. The mussel drops are already having their desired effect on Okahu Bay's water quality. The water looks different, it smells different, it tastes different, and it feels different. You know, the amount of people that you see on the beach now that come here to swim, we wouldn't have seen that a year ago. And the sisters are sure both their dad and Rochelle would have been proud to see their vision come to life. We're pretty certain that Rochelle would have been uh, dancing on the deck of a waka on, on the water and our dad would have, one of his um, favourite expressions was wow we. Yeah. People would have just been in awe. Moana and Donna believe everyone has a role in being a kaitiaki and helping the taiao to heal. If we all take care of that little jewel place that we love, then together we're going to collectively do, do big and great things. I think Okahu is a really great example of what others can be doing elsewhere. John Boynton, Tera Pūrongo. Ko hikina te hui e huama, nohoro mai rā. Te puna whakatongarewa te hui i tautoko.